Welcome to Global Leader Radio, sponsored by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. Now here's your host, Director of Business Development and Instructor of Management for the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, Alvin Miles. Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of Global Leader Radio, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. And we've got two exciting guests with us today. First is Derek Kayango of the Global Soap Project. Hello, Derek. Hello, Marvin. And the second is Miss Karen Hilton. Karen is the Vice President of Human Resources for TRX Incorporated. So, Karen, how are you? I'm great, Alvin. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about Karen Hilton. Well, I am a wife to Steve and a mom to Jimmy uh, and a stepmom to Rachel and Hannah. Um, I am the proud um, leader of the people function at TRX Incorporated here in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, I serve on a team of other professionals in the travel technology space. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, very good. So TRX, and uh, would you consider this a small, medium, large company? Um, actually, probably a medium-sized company from a revenue and from a headcount perspective. Okay. Yeah. Would you like to go a little deeper and tell us a little bit more about TRX? Sure. So um, TRX is a leader in the travel technology space. And um, really, our uh, main objective is to help corporations, government agencies, and other businesses leverage their data um, to drive educated and informed business decisions. Um, we're really software developers by trade, um, and uh, we're also um, consultants. So uh, we do a little bit on the techie side and then a little bit on a lot on the consulting side. So um, we've got a very, uh, a very nice niche, we think. Um, in the travel space specifically, which is kind of where TRX was born out of, but we're branching into some other um, exciting areas as well. Well, thank you. And so that makes you a perfect fit for our program because Global Leaders Radio, of course, TRX is global. Am I right? We are. We are. We operate in uh, four geographic locations. We have three offices here um, in the U.S. We have um, an office in Crawley, just outside of London. Um, We have an office in Bangalore, India. And we also have um, an office in Berlin, Germany. So we are very, very much um, global. Well, interesting. So that means you've got quite a few employees within your umbrella. We do. So you are the, uh, the VP of the people function. Correct. And so how many employees do you have to work with? We have um, about 720 employees um, globally, um, less than 250 here in the U.S. So we've got quite a presence offshore. Um, but each one of those functions, although it has a unique footprint, very much operates as a global unit. And I think that's one of the neat things about TRX is our ability to effectively serve our customers and make an impact in the marketplace um, in all locations doing so kind of globally. So yeah, That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And so uh, headquarters is in Atlanta? It is. Um, we're based in Atlanta off of Claremont Road. Oh, very good, very mm-hmm. good. So as we, uh, as we think through a little bit about what Global Leader Radio is all about, mm-hmm. um, certainly about leadership and informing our leadership community and learning community, Right. how does Karen Hilton define leadership? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I define leadership as the opportunity to make an impact knowing that others um, are watching and are interested in learning um, to do more. So um, that's 
a pretty broad definition, but it's broad by design because okay. I'm I'm a firm believer that leadership can happen whether you are a call center agent or whether you are president of the company. Okay. So, so I think everybody has a role in leadership. And and their responsibility is to take charge based on what you do and what you teach them, right? Yeah, and I think it's um, leadership is not just necessarily about being in charge. I think leadership is is a lot about making an impact uh, and being aware that you have influence in everything that you do. Um, my dad used to um, teach that to us as we were growing up. That you know, it doesn't matter that um, you know you're not quote unquote an adult yet. Um, <laughs> it, you have you have influence, and so. Um, it was it was assumed that I was leading uh, as I was growing up. So I think it's important to recognize that, you know, quote unquote, being in charge isn't just about, you know, being the person that has the final say in something, but it really has a lot to do with what kind of influence can I um, have in whatever audience I'm dealing with or whatever business function I'm dealing with. Great. Yeah. So it sounds as though your father had a great influence on your leadership. He did. Can you tell us a little bit about him, perhaps? My dad, um, Reverend Leroy James, who is retired from the military, um, the Army specifically, after 20-plus years serving faithfully and is now retired, is um, he is a, a, re- a retired pastor um, and is currently um, the chaplain at the State Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas, at 83, soon to be 84 years of age. Wow. He is a force to be reckoned with, and really spent his life, I think, um, uh, in some sort of leadership role. He was um, really a a trailblazer in his family, um, attending Morehouse College um, at a very early age and um, working while he was going through school. He put himself through school. And then after graduating, went on to the military um, and started a family and really rose through the ranks at a time when African Americans um, were not heavily represented in the armed forces. So um, by the time we were coming along, um, he he spent a lot of time really teaching us um, about the importance of leadership and, and influence and making a difference, what I call having something to say. It was very, very important to him that as we um, went along even as young people that we had something to say so he he really did shape um, kind of my leadership profile if you will um, and I didn't appreciate it then but I appreciate it now so my, my kids may not appreciate it but <laughs> yeah so when I when I look at uh, at your background and we've, we've had a couple of conversations to this point mm-hmm. interestingly enough you are a mother you're a daughter, mm-hmm. you're a wife, you're a friend, mm-hmm. you're a leader, and many, many more roles I probably have not mentioned, but what I've noticed um, that is the linchpin in all of those, yeah. that you are extremely passionate with what you do. That's Where does that come from? Um, I think it comes from recognizing that I didn't get here by myself. Um, you know, again, going back to my father and my mother, who were um, really insistent that again, I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but that I but that I have something to say, um, but that I also recognize um, what other people have to say, 
and what other people have said and done going before me. Um, so I think it, it really helps me to kind of keep grounded and to be passionate um, in, in recognizing that I did not get here by myself. I mean, I enjoy, um, you know, being able to represent my company uh, and my fellow peers and, and friends and employees in this type of venue, but I did not get here by myself. I was, you know, my talents and skills were recognized uh, by my president and CEO, Shane Hammond. Um, and so I have an obligation, I think, to be passionate and passing on that type of awareness uh, that when you're given an opportunity, it's important to do something constructive with that. So I think that's that's a big part of what drives my passion, in addition to the fact that I'm kind of spastic. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, energetic. Is yeah, what energetic. Like to that's say. a better there word. Yeah. So, so did this help to inform your leadership and allow you to put your stamp at TRX? I think it has. Um, I am very committed to executing on business deliverables, um, but my employees also know um, there's a story behind this, which I will not mention to protect the innocent. But but they're my, listening, they, right? I, I'm sure they are. But um, you know, they also know that while I'm I'm driven around business objectives and those sorts of things, that I'm not afraid to um, put a spoon in my mouth and participate in the egg drop contest or do a bubble blowing contest at the, you know, Atlanta town hall or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's a big part of, of, um, of leading as well. Well, great. So when you think about leadership, uh, whether or not it's global or domestic, Mm -hmm. um, which side do you come out on? Are you, do you think it's more art or do you think it's more science or is it a blend of both? Um, that's a really good question. I think, I think the majority of it is an art. Um, I think it's a skill that you learn. Um, so if I had to force rank it from a percentage standpoint, I think probably, and again, depending on, on what type of topic you're dealing with, I think 25% of it is book knowledge and 75% of it is, um, heart and head knowledge. Um, you know, kind of being aware, um, being self-aware, uh, being culturally aware, being politically aware, um, being financially aware, all of those things I think are, are, um, skills that you have to kind of knit into the fabric of being a leader, whether, whether again, that's, that's domestically or globally. So when you think about um, those people that you have to lead and work with, mm-hmm. uh, you, you view them as colleagues, I would imagine. I do, very and, much. And so certainly, uh, what would your recommendations be to help people become more empowered in their careers? If they're thinking about either moving more laterally or perhaps even moving up, are, are, are there uh, some things you think are just absolutely critical to be able to move up in a career and get, get to where Karen Hilton is today, perhaps? I do. Um, I think it's really important um, to be um, self-driven. Um, global leaders, leaders of, of any sort, but particularly global leaders, have to be not only curious but interested in what's going on around them. Um, I think that's key for anyone from a career perspective. Once upon a time, um, you know, maybe post-recession, uh, it was very possible to kind of operate in your function, do your job, 
and 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 do so with the relative amount of success um and 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 you know that's considered succeeding mm-hmm. i repeated myself there but um i think now you have to be connected to all parts of what's going on either in your organization or in your community um, or a combination of those things. So I think one of the first things I would tell anyone from a career perspective, particularly someone who's interested in moving into a global platform or staying in a global platform, is you have to be interested and aware of what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important um, to be... Uh, to be okay with not being the ex- the only expert in the room. Um, it's really, really important to leverage the skills and experiences of those around you um, and to spend a lot of time listening. When I joined TRX, I, I was not new to uh, leading a people function for a global company, um, but I was new to this particular organization. So I spent a lot of time... Um, listening to uh, those, particularly offshore, who had years of experience, um, not only with our products and services, but with our people and with the culture, you know, as they were living with it. And so I think that helped a a great deal in building credibility and trust um, with with my peers and my colleagues. So, um, you know, being willing to listen and, and being okay with not being the, the only expert in the room, I think, is critical. So in addition to that, I think I also heard the ability to communicate is critical, Absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, self-driven, obviously, and listening. Mm-hmm. So what what was the biggest jump for you to go from a, quote-unquote, domestic leader mm-hmm. to a global leader? Or was it more subtle, perhaps? I think it was more subtle because, um, you know, the world has been global for a long time. Absolutely. Uh, and... Very early on in my career, I was having to deal with individuals from all over the world. Um, You know, my father, being um, a military officer, I think was a great training ground for that. But, um, you know, uh, I attended um, Spelman College um, prior to transferring to Kennesaw. And Spelman is, you know, a bastion of of, uh, global students and and educators and those sorts of things so um i think the transition was more more gradual um i became aware of things that were happening around me um in my education then moving into the workplace um when you know things were getting moved offshore and having to deal with vendors and employees those sorts of things that were in other locations correct um, time zone differences, time perhaps. zone differences, all of those sorts of things um, have been, at least f- for me, uh, and I and I imagine for for lots of folks from my generation, um, has just been a reality. Mm. Um, so, and and there are lots of similarities uh, in dealing with um, the marketplace and employees um, abroad. Lots of similarities. Um, what we all share is we're human. Um, and so there, there are some unique things um, that exist, but there are also a lot of commonalities that I find has been really helpful in leading um, managers and other leaders um, into an awareness of how to operate effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I, I echo some of your thoughts there. You know, we do an international residency with Asebus University in Romania, mm-hmm. and uh, we always joke at the end of our 
um, international residency that they speak much better English right. than we do yeah. Romanian. <laughs> That's for certain. So, so I agree with you that uh, there are much more simula- similarities than there are differences. Right. So when you think through your background, um, you mentioned that you uh, you went to school at Spelman. I did. But what about before that? Did would stepping in the Spelman was that um, how, how was that for you? Was that a culture shock, perhaps, or was that something that was a smooth transition? Um, it was it, it was a definitely a smooth transition. My father, as I mentioned, attended Morehouse, mm-hmm. um, and so I was going to Spelman, whether or not. I wanted to, so what <laughs> much? Yeah, choice. there there wasn't any transition involved. I I showed up on Spelman's door with bags packed. Um, no, it was it was a fabulous fabulous experience. Um, I recommend Spelman um, on many occasions as a fantastic, credible, um, world changing, world class learning organization. Um, I'm privileged to have walked the halls of Spelman. And although um, I transferred before graduation, in in some ways I'll always consider myself a Spelman girl. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, when you look at the way TERX is set up today with the employees and your associates and your leadership, how important is it for all of you there to be lifelong learners? Oh, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> as long as you need. Yeah, it it's critical um, for not only TRX's success, but for any company that wants to remain viable. Um, it, I think, being a lifelong learner in the business context is not just about taking formal classes. I think every individual is. 95 responsi- 95% responsible for their own development, which means it's important to, to kind of be in touch with what it is you want to learn in any experience. So there's that self-awareness there's again, a, right? That's that self-awareness again, driving that, absolutely. So, you know, going into an organization, um, remaining a part of an organization means that um, you know, you have to take a step back sometimes from what we call the whirlwind. It's a term that's been coined by Franklin Covey, um, the four disciplines of execution, which I highly recommend. But um, at any rate, you have to sometimes take take a step away from the whirlwind and really get a perspective on what skills you have, um, what skills you don't have, uh, and what it is you can learn um, and add to the conversation, the business conversation, you know, your your team productivity, whatever it is, I think it's very, very important to define that. And I don't mean just dreaming about it in your head. Um, every About every six months, I sit down and evaluate my own life, uh, my professional life, my personal life, all of those sorts of things, um, and, and really um, get with a pen and paper and evaluate whether or not I'm meeting my my goals and objectives, Um, and if I'm not, what's getting in the way. Uh, I evaluate, you know, challenges or failures or any of those sorts of things that I may have had in the recent past and and really try to deconstruct what I can learn from those experiences. So um, that's a big part of being kind of a lifelong learner. Okay. Uh, Because in order to 
understand what it is you need to be learning. You need to understand who it is you are and what it is you need to learn. Yeah, what's the delta? Yeah, right? absolutely. So, what's the delta? I love that. You know, again, you seem to lead such a rich lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I always differentiate rich from wealthy Yeah. because rich is about the depth and the quality. Right. And wealth is perhaps about the monetary value. So, right. uh, you know, when I see all the things you've done and, uh, and your, your, your thumbprint on TRX, mm-hmm. what's the most... What's the thing you're most proud of, your, your proudest accomplishment thus far? I am proud of my employees um, at TRX. We have really, I think, weathered um, a lot of challenge and um, opportunity as it relates to being in the technology space. I'd, I think it's no secret that, um, you know, technology is fiercely competitive and it's always changing. And, uh, in the two years that I've been at TRX, I've watched TRX employees at every level in every location, adapt, grow, participate, engage, ask questions, learn. Um, and it's, it's awesome to watch because I think it takes, um, a capacity of the human spirit to do that. It's not just a technical competency. Um, there are, you know, companies and organizations, you know, all across the world every day that don't make it. And we continue to lead um, in the technology space. We continue to innovate. Um, and, and that's an exciting thing to be a part of. Um, you know, everybody has good days and bad days. But I think the thing that I... Um, continue to embrace and continue to be excited about at TRX is um, the quality uh, and character of our people. Um, I'd, I'd put my employees up against any company any day of the week. Wow, well said, well spoken. So, got you. Pull out the crystal ball. It's sitting right here on the table. This, the great thing about radio is people can never see anything. Right. So it's all about what's in their minds, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're going to rub the crystal ball a little bit here, Karen, and, and ask you, what does the future look like for TRX? The future is really bright for TRX. Um, We um, have always been leaders in the industry. Um, I think we have um, some of the best management um, on the planet at TRX that that really focuses not just, you know, kind of on where are we going, but I think our leadership team really spends a lot of time working together and working with employees to, to, to be really aware of where we are today. Um, and I think employees need to know where they are today. Uh, and again, um, my president and CEO, Shane Hammond, spends a lot of time pulling in his leadership, asking questions um, to that effect, uh, to make sure that we're aware of what's going on with employees, what's going on in the way of things like learning and development, leadership development. Um, We have exceptionally uh, capable um, management from a financial perspective, so we're positioned for growth. We have um, some of the most creative um, uh, thought leaders in technology um, in our organization. So it it makes it a fun place to, to kind of come and do the hard work of okay what's next exactly yeah so exactly. i think i think growth is on the horizon 
Um, but more importantly, viability is on the horizon. Um, T-Rex is here to stay. Uh, I'm convinced of that. Well, that's impressive. We appreciate that. And so I just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Global Leader Radio, and we're discussing ideas that matter with people who care. And so, Karen, you and I can sit down and chat for hours on it. Yeah, absolutely. uh, (laughs) But certainly we both know we've got other things that need to be done perhaps a little later today. And so uh, we'll have to have you back. Would would you come back if we invited you? Absolutely. I'd be glad to. Well, fantastic. So as we transition from Karen Hilton, the VP of Human Resources for TRX, we transition toward... A gentleman named Derek Kayango. So, hello, Derek. Hello. Ah, very good. Derek is the social entrepreneur and the founder of the Global Soap Project. So, with full disclosure, I want to make sure that our listeners know that I am a board member of the Global Soap Project. But with that in mind, Derek, uh, tell us a little bit about Derek Kayango. My goodness, uh, long story uh, short, I'm originally Ugandan. I left at the age of 10 to become a refugee in Kenya where I grew up, uh, was raised by an American woman from Pittsburgh, which is why I probably love the Steelers very much. (laughs) Um, And then had the opportunity to come to the U.S. and uh, went to school a little bit and uh, found my way. And here I am with the Global Soul Project, which is a lot lot of uh, interesting stories behind it. Well, And hopefully we'll get to some of those stories Mm -hmm. now. But I tell you, you went through in 10 seconds what seemed to me to be one heck of a bio. (laughs) Because I took a moment and read through it just last evening. And I tell you that uh, it's quite impressive. So let's step back just a bit. Mm -hmm. First of all, how do you become a refugee at age 10? You know, Uganda was going through a rough time at the time. Uh, We were led by a man called Idi Amin, who most have seen in the movie The Last King of Scotland uh, by Frost Whitaker. He was a reprobate leader. Uh, We will talk about leadership in a second. Mm -hmm. But um, he had a third-grade education and was very, very unaware of what his role was supposed to be. Hmm. He proceeded to start to get rid of what he thought was a threat against him, which was business people who he thought were funding the opposition against him, Hmm. academia who he thought were writing horrible things about him, and basically his neighbors, Kenya, Tanzania, he invaded Tanzania actually. And that's what actually got us into a horrible, horrible war that was a geopolitical war, and that's how I became a refugee. Wow, interesting. Mm. So you go from leading perhaps a middle-class lifestyle? Yeah, it was actually an upper middle-class lifestyle. My father owned a, a printing press, okay. uh, the second largest, from what I understand, in the private printing press in the country at the time. He also uh, had a soap-making business, um, and uh, he was, uh, from what I understand, involved in some uh, shenanigans around uh, politics, and that's what actually got us out of the country. They g- gave him an offer. Do you want to be killed, or do you want to get out of the country? And he I would always take the latter yeah, if I exactly. ever got that, that choice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with that in mind, mm-hmm. uh, you move from upper middle class now, and you're in a refugee camp. My it goodness. Was um, it, it was one of those things that is very, very mercurial. You, you, you are very stable at one point. I, I, I uh, went to private schools, British schools uh, for that matter. You know, Auntie Claire, I still remember this. Auntie Claire was a British woman who taught us to, you know, uh, being a refugee. And my goodness, that travel is really uh, psychologically damning. Yes. And for a young kid, I think that that, that movement from stability to instability through war and seeing dead bodies every day from school uh, was really unnerving. But I think that what kept me going and what kept my parents going and my brothers and sisters was this notion that we knew who we were. 
even though we were going through this horrible scenario, it was a national scenario. It was not an individual experience. It was a national experience, even though it has individual experiences in it, but it was a national pain and suffering. So the situation did not define you. Yes, it did not. And I think that that's important uh, for all of us to know that sometimes there are situations that are leaning very hard on us as individuals, but they're not really just us. It's all about everybody else that is going through the same scenario. So that really was helpful for me to know. And I, I knew that at a very young age, that it was not really dad's fault or mom's fault that we're going through this horrible situation as refugees now. Mm-hmm. But it was, I saw other Ugandans. I saw other Sudanese. I saw the Democratic Republic of Congo people. Everybody was coming to Kenya to become a refugee. So I realized, wow, all of us are going through a heck of a time. So a huge melting pot. Yes. So when you see people that you perhaps would not have met otherwise, mm-hmm. and you got into conditions, of course, that you couldn't control. Absolutely. So with that in mind, then we'll, we'll kind of move forward a little bit, and mm-hmm. then we'll come back to the uh, to the whole idea, the whole genesis of the Global Soul Project. Yeah, yeah. So how did you move from the from the refugee camps to America? So I was again the lady, the missionary lady, Marge Campbell, uh, helped my mother and, and dad set up because my dad was well to do in the beginning. We actually did not reside completely the whole five years in Kenya into a refugee camp. Okay. He was able to use some of his resources to pull us out of that situation, and we ended up uh, staying somewhere else. But I got a scholarship, actually, to come to school uh, in the U.S. and uh, landed in uh, Philadelphia, uh, where I checked into a hotel. And uh, I was very, very fascinated by this hotel because when I checked in, they had three bars of soap. Mm. They had hand-washing soap, body soap, and facial soap. That did not include shampoos in case you had nappy hair like I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, this is very interesting. So I put the two bars away because I knew it was a marketing gimmick because I knew soap is soap. You know, you don't have to define it by body limbs. Exactly. (laughs) So I put it in, I put the two bars in my bag and the next evening, that evening I come back and they had replaced everything. Hmm. I said, wow, this is interesting. This happened three times. And then I realized something is wrong. I went down to the concierge and I told the concierge, look, he was an African-American guy, and we were cracking up, and they said, I had not seen an African-American ever since the Eddie movie, Eddie Murphy movie coming to America. <laughs> so that's the only thing I knew about African-Americans, and I thought they were the funniest people in the world. <laughs> so I give him back the soap, and I said, look, brother, I need to give you this soap back because I've been stealing from you. And he said, stealing? I said, yeah, from housekeeping? I said, no, no, they bring me soap every evening, and I can't afford it, so I have to give it back to you. He cracked up, and he said, look, you see all these Americans around here? They all steal soap and take it home. And if anything, we charged you for it already. So you're good. But I said, but wait a minute. What about the partially used bar of soap? And he said, well, we throw those out for etiquette reasons. And Alvin, that's when I, it dawned on me. I connected the dots at that point. You know, a child who had been grown, uh, grown up around making soap mm-hmm. to becoming a refugee and seeing people not having soap to now being in a country where they threw away soap. I connected the dot right there, and I figured i got to do something about this. Very interesting. And mm-hmm. you also had a background in making soap. Yes, I did. So when you look at that, that became the seed, the genesis of the Global Soap Project. Absolutely. It, 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 it became the seed. It became the beginning of this incredible journey that we're now traveling together. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, where are you now in terms of the Global Soap Project? Wow. Um, we have traveled quite a bit. Uh, for me as a new American, and I became an American about six years ago, one of the things I've realized about being an American is that you have to understand the power of this country. It's not in this idea of waiting around for people to help you all the time. 
it's resident in the idea that you find yourself very quickly and understand what your goals are, and people will rally around you. The best example I got were the Amish. Mm. They, when a house burns down in the Amish land, all of them get together and build it up in a day. So where we are right now is I, I was able to assemble a board, which of which you're one of the board members, and the board was really constructed around the, the, the needs we had in the organization. It wasn't constructed around friendships, which I loved very much, but it was based on needs. You as a board member, what do you bring to the table and can you help us? So it's a working board. About contribution. A contribution, very much so. Uh, and, and so we've been able to get a, a, a new machine. We had a crock pot when I started <laughs> and made two bars a day. <laughs> <laughs> and we moved from a crock pot for me to cashing in my 401k and buying the first machine that we used, which would make about 2,000 bars a, 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 a week. And now we have with the help of the Hilton uh, Corporation, who has partnered with us, now we have a machine that makes about 15,000 bars a day. Impressive. So that's where we are right now, 15,000 bars of soap a day. Now that Hilton Corporation, that's yeah. not related to Karen Hilton, the lady to your immediate right. You know, not uh, not really, but I, I would not be surprised. Karen? Hey, Karen. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so in terms of the Global Soap Project, it's mm -hmm. doing well. Very well. And so the whole purpose of the Global Soap Project is what? The purpose of the Global Soap Project is very simple. We take partially used bars of hotel soaps, recycle those bars, and we give those bars to what we call vulnerable populations or people that are going through very, very poor and dire straits. They're usually orphans. They're usually uh, um, refugees. They're usually battered women so or warring women and mm -hmm. children. These are populations that are very, very, very much in big trouble. And the point here is that for them to take a bar of soap and wash with it, it saves them a lot of money before they get the disease, let's say diarrhea, to actually go to hospital and actually get charged more money to fight the disease. So soap is the first line of defense against disease. We all know that. And that's what we're trying to do is create a defense mechanism around them before they actually fall sick. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so when I read across your bio as well, I do know that you spent some time uh, doing a lot of public speaking. Yes. I've seen you certainly at Kennesaw State University mm -hmm. uh, speaking to uh, very enthralled students <laughs> and getting them really pumped up about uh, sustainability and yes. doing all the things. Because it's bigger than soap, correct? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I think that the second immediately, the second uh, uh, goal here is that we're taking this buzz of soap out of what would have been landfills in the U.S. Get this. There's 2.6 million bars of soap being thrown away every day in the U.S. Mm. alone. In aggregate, that's 800 million bars of soap that are thrown away annually. Now, if you went to a landfill and saw that volume, you'd be shocked. Because if you come to a factory and see what we have just in minutia, it is really a lot. Mm. So to whom much is given is our philosophy. Much is expected. We want to take what is one man's trash and make it another man's treasure. And here what we're talking about is we can take this soap, reuse that soap, and give it to the people that can actually afford soap. Yeah, so mm -hmm. you need, uh, nobody that's listening to this whole telecast mm -hmm. or, or broadcast actually would, would think or doubt yeah. that you've had a fascinating background. And, and, you know, your life has been incredibly rich, as we said earlier with Karen. Yeah. Uh, so what about that experience has made you the leader you are today? It, it begins with suffering. <clears throat> I think that uh, leaders who have suffered are different in a way than leaders who have never suffered before. And I don't say that that it's a requirement. It's mm -hmm. not a prerequisite for you to suffer, for you to become a particular leader or a better leader. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference in this sense. 
you start to really be very, very calculating about every move you make because somehow you feel threatened by everything around you. You become this inquisitive person. And I'm threatened. I'm really literally threatened by time. Mm-hmm. I really believe that my lack of intervention, my lack of applic- applying my skill, is denying somewhere around the world the justice they deserve to actually make a change in their lives. And if, uh, if somebody has a skill set, if they have a talent, and they don't apply that talent, that skill set, you've just denied all of us. Mm-hmm. Because if Steve Jobs refused to apply himself, we would never have the iPad. And I love the iPad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Dr. Martin Luther King never applied himself, we would have never probably had this kind of civil rights movement journey that we've had. So I, uh, that's the first thing that sort of sets me off. Number two is failure. I, I love to fail. And not just failing for the sake of failing, but calculated failure. It's scientific, actually. Really? Scientists fail all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they go into the lab and they test things. We think they just do these things by miracle. Well, they don't. They fail all the time. But good leaders learn how to fail well. And they come up with good solutions that are time-tested and experiment-tested. So that when you get the end product, boy, you're ready to go. And lastly, I think... What influences my background here is really women. My mom, if you've never been influenced by a woman, you need to be influenced by a woman. Women have this interesting intuition that men don't. And I've learned to tap into intuition more than just logic. Mm-hmm. I think we as leader, uh, um, as men leaders or as male leaders love logic. One plus one is equal to two. and Therefore, it works that way. Well, you know what? Sometimes it's not that way. Yeah. Sometimes you have to wait for that one to turn into a one and <laughs> that two to turn into a two. <laughs> and the emotional intelligence around that is what is really driving for me. Oh, very good. So, Karen, I saw you uh, shaking your head over there, so you had some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, big amen corner over here. Um, I love what you said about um, embracing failure. Mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the biggest turning points for me. So keeping in mind that my father was a pastor, a military officer, and a professor, sometimes all at the same time. So by the time I got into the workplace, I had a very strong work ethic, but failure I saw as um, an indication of my worth and my value, and I avoided it at all cost. It it can, you know, that fail, that that um, work ethic can drive you, but it can also blind you to what's Good right point. in front of you. Good point. And I think, particularly being a global leader, um, you can miss some of the most important components of business success by not embracing failure, not being open to learning uh, from failure, and 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 you know, kind of riding on again that that thing that not just failing for failing's sake but really failing with the perspective that there's something I need to learn to be better and to be more effective um, is really, really critical. And a lot of leaders miss that. A lot of uh, young business professionals miss that yeah. uh, because they're so, you know, they, I see um, particularly a lot of women um, will come up to me after events or, or whatever, and they have this sparkle in their eye like I'm some sort of, you know, movie star. And it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are times I fail in my communication with my employees, with my family. Um, you know, there are decisions that I make where I didn't anticipate this or that. But really kind of taking those experiences and translating, into it, translating them into something that you can use to be more effective the next time 
is is really I think what I was um, nodding my head um, towards. It's critical. Yeah. So uh, you know, in my Bell South days, I remember I had a uh, a great leader, Jan Funderburg. Mm-hmm. She her saying was "Fail fast and move forward." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So Derek, uh, what are the top two or three contributions you know in your heart of hearts that the Global Soap Project makes in the lives of those it touches? And, and I want to say this, mm-hmm. you and I have not had this conversation before, but certainly, you know, there, there are a variety of constituents and stakeholders in the yes. Global Soap Project, just yes. like in any business, right? Yes. You've got volunteers on one hand. Yeah. You've got the soap recipients on another hand. Yes. You've got donors on another hand. And then yeah. you've got those people who actually help to work it from the backside, yeah. which is the, uh, you know, the board of directors, and, oh, yeah. housekeepers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there's just a variety of stakeholders here. Correct. You know, so so... Top two or three contributions, and I don't want to limit to that, but certainly that's a, a great starting point. I think the, the first thing to, to lay forward is that we are one of the most innovative ideas right now, I, I would say globally, because we're changing a, 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 an industry culture. Hotels, for the longest time, did not know what to do with the soaps. Hmm. In fact, when you look at all the travelers around the country that come to us and say, oh, my goodness, I always wondered what happened to that soap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens to it? And they, they, they all just light up when they hear that. So I think the first influence or sort of marker that we've put t- together is that we've been innovators in a space that has not been touched because nobody sort of thought about it. Okay. But it, 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 it took a refugee who suffered through something to actually see that it can be done. Mm-hmm. The second, I think, influence is that we are really at the forefront right now of fighting diseases. Uh, we're not a panacea by any means or imagination, but we are part of this solution of a larger uh, approach to fighting small diseases that should not be problems, like diarrhea. You know, we lose about 2 million kids globally to lower respiratory diseases like diarrhea. And the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, says that you, if you put a bar of soap in a child's hand and teach them how to use it, you can mitigate this disease or diarrhea by 40%. That's huge. So I think that's the second point we are really excited about. And then number three, this whole idea of corporations being part of social problem solving is, is what we're trying to do here. The Hilton coming in with this money to help us really consume it, this particular issue and make it a, a, a de facto for people who are, are trying to benefit out of it, like mm-hmm. the refugees, has been huge. And I tell corporations, gone are the days of just making profit for right. the sake of making profit. The days today are part of corporations being really meaningful participants in society. Mm-hmm. Because when they are meaningful, can you imagine now if I'm a former refugee and I receive a bar of soap and somebody tells me it was recycled from Hilton, if I ever came out of that refugee camp as a wealthy businessman, I'm going to say at a Hilton. You've just made a customer out of me right there. Mm-hmm. But also this idea of making America uh, understood globally that we are not just you know about just ourselves mm-hmm. as Correct. Americans, but we are part and parcel of solving problems. And this is a place where you can come in a country that is free and become a contributor. You know, can you imagine Derek Kayongo, former U- Ugandan refugee, now in the U.S., developing this whole global soul project? That's what America is all about. So I think those are the precepts I'll talk Alan, about. Alan, can I just insert one thing here? Mm-hmm. And I, I really um, can't say enough about... Derek's um, project in the Glo- Global Soap Project, and unbeknownst to me, when um, Alvin scheduled, um, our employees volunteer through the Global Soap Project, and we volunteer through several organizations, but the Global Soap Project continues to be 
if not the number one, one of the highest rated uh, programs that our employees are committed to. They are, I mean, they come out of those experiences and volunteering just raving. Um, Last year, um, one of my employees out of my team uh, came back and she walked in my office and she said, after volunteering with the Global Soap Project, I will not be the same person after mm. this experience. So Derek must have stopped by that day. Of course. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and trust me, I did not pick her in anything. That's a great infomercial for Karen. Yeah. Thank you so Funny. much. Funny. Yeah. So, so when you look across at what others have uh, thought about the Global Soap Project, again, mm-hmm. it, I mean, the name implies the fact that you have a global reach. Correct. And so uh, here we have a Ugandan refugee mm-hmm. sitting uh, here with us in Sandy Springs yeah. talking about his vision for the future. Mm-hmm. And others have recognized your work as well. Mm-hmm. So um, how was it? How did it feel to be recognized as a finalist for the CNN Heroes for last year? Oh, my goodness. It was very humbling uh, because I knew... And I think every leader should know that when you are put in that, on that pedestal, mm-hmm. it is not because of you alone. I, I immediately started to think about my board and how much they had done to lift this idea up. But most importantly, I thought about the idea itself. The idea is the superstar here. It's not me. Because ideas call us out, and when we avail ourselves, then they become the superstars. You will find that Microsoft is no longer about Bill Gates per se. It's Microsoft. It's the idea, you know. When we move away, out of the way for the idea to become the superstar, that's when you see the CNN hero stories coming about because out of humbleness comes these ideas and they become beneficial to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking about the whole time. I was thinking about my dad who always lambasted me for being, you know, disciplined and thinking about the tread, think about your talent. I thought about my two ladies, my mom and uh, my Marge Campbell, yeah. the American woman uh, who brought me up. And I thought, my goodness, if it wasn't for these women who really injected in me the passion for understanding emotion mm-hmm. and how to build emotion into an idea and how people follow emotion more than logic. Trust me. Correct. The whole I- passion that I have is what actually drives people to come to Global Soap. So those are the things that I was thinking about during that whole time. Well, very good. And knowing that uh, you spent that weekend with a lot of other global leaders, yes. Um, what did you experience? I mean, what did you see? Was there, and in, in all the different leadership styles that you noted that weekend? Yeah. And again, we're going to turn the prism. Uh, we always look at uh, here at Global Leaders Radio. We always look at things through a prism of optimism. Correct. So when you got together with all of these other leaders, and there mm-hmm. were what ten more, perhaps nine, nine, nine more. Yeah. You were the tenth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and certainly those leadership styles were contrasting, perhaps. Very much. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that. I remember that the the other f- uh, people there. One of them was an Italian man who was a chef, and he is very vivacious. And he has this strong, you know how Italians are, and I'm using a broad brush here, but they're very, very outgoing and, you know, what is, and he was very, very charismatic. So one of the characteristics that I saw in him was charisma. The lady that won the actual Sin and Heroes Award for 2011 was a woman who had suffered through an incredible experience. Her sister had died giving bath. And the whole idea of women around the world that died during bath is very, very common, and she dedicated her life through that particular principle. So it's about the passion of the other, uh, was another principle that I saw. The lady who lost her husband during the Iraq war uh, was another one that I saw. She took the passion of the husband, who was the leader in her life, and 
borrowed from that. So there's this idea of borrowing from who we see as leader and becoming leaders ourselves and championing through others was another thing that I saw. And lastly, the one that was actually very interesting for me was a, a, a man who had a son who became quadriplegic. He was playing football, and we've we all been talking about you know head injuries and all that stuff, and had become paralyzed from the neck down. And he used his son's horrible experience to find his life journey. Hmm. He had always wondered, what, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? And this accident introduced him to his life journey. So s- being conscious about your milieu, your environment, your environment is actually speaking to you. And if you don't pay attention to the environment, you may miss it. So that's what I saw during Sin and Heroes piece. Well, great. So with the background you've had and, yeah. and the thoughts that you're having today and yeah. the future you're looking toward, where's the book? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get this in writing, uh, right? Oh, <laughs> yes, it's in, it's in the making. We, we are in the process of, of uh, working with some people to see whether we can do the book. And very soon, it will be, I'll be back when the, when the book is done. Well, Trust good. Me. We, we definitely we, need we to have you back. Yes. So, you know, one thing I've always wondered, you know, mm-hmm. you have a core competence and certainly a skill for making soap mm-hmm. because you do make soap, correct? Yes, I do make soap. And, yes. and the Global Soap Project actually began with you yes. as a person. And if this whole venture didn't work out, what would you be doing? You know, I am a social entrepreneur at heart. Um, but I, I work for CARE as well, CARE International, which is a great organization. It's the, one of the big organizations in the world that fights global poverty through mm-hmm. the prism of women. We at CARE disca- disca- discovered that if you unlocked, unpacked, and sort of looked at the life of a, a woman, the life cycle of a woman from beginning to end, mm-hmm. they are really in charge of society. So I would be doing that. Uh, my role as advocacy food coordinator at CARE gives me the opportunity to speak to members of Congress about the issues that women face globally. And if you educate a woman... You educate a nation, as they say. Yeah, so, you know, the whole concept, anytime mm-hmm. we talk to anybody about Global Soap Project, mm-hmm. they get it. Yes. And it's a simple process. It is. But, uh, you know, the concept is simple, mm-hmm. but certainly the logistics cannot be. No. Okay. It, 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 you ha- and this is where the brilliance of the organization and the board comes in. We had to bring people who were in tune with what we're looking at. So logistics, number one, transportation. How do you move the soap from the hotels to the Global Soap Project to be recycled to then the victims globally that need the soap? So we're working with people like UPS who have been very, very helpful, and we hope they can come and join on our board as well very soon. Working with Hilton, the hotel industry that is supposed to provide you with the resource itself, the soap itself, was big. So we brought the Hilton. They sit on our board, which is very good. Then working with people who know business, like yourself, who teach business Mm -hmm. and who have been in the corporate world was important to bring people on. Then lawyers. We had to bring a lawyer on. <laughs> John Parkinson. <laughs> got to have the lawyers. Yeah, you got to have the lawyers. <laughs> and we brought John, who is a former uh, um, uh, lawyer at Delta, who came and retired and then come, came, joined our board. So we were able to put the pieces together. To Vicky Gordon, who was a uh, former VP at Intercontinental Hotel Group. So as you look at the board and how it's organized, you actually see how we are solving the problems. It's really, really interesting. And it's really all about solving problems. It, it is. Okay. It is. So um, share with us your personal approach or your creed of leadership, as they say. What do you live by? My creed is very simple. Never underestimate the power of your failures to inform the future of your success. I'll say that again. Never underestimate the power of your failures to inform the future of your success. I'll say that again. 
never underestimate the power of your failures to inform the future of your success. So I think the moral of this story is you need to embrace your failures and not be afraid to move forward with the thought that you just might fail. Absolutely. Fantastic. So Global Leaders Radio, again, we, uh, we specialize in having conversations with people uh, who really care and are passionate, and we've had two great passionate guests. Mm -hmm. But, you know, interestingly enough, we can never let our guests get away without telling us and giving us their final thought around what leadership book or which book, perhaps, has most informed your leadership? And I'll start with you, Derek. Right now, I'm looking at a book in negotiation called Getting to Yes. Um, and it's, I'm learning how to negotiate in this culture because it's really about negotiating <laughs> <laughs> corners and everything. And Getting to Yes is a book that talks about this idea of understanding how to construct deals that last, that win-win situations, that if you construct deals poorly, they tend to collapse if there's an unfairness that is or an injustice in the way you construct deals, you will fail. And so w when I look at corporations that want 100% profit, mm -hmm. they tend to end up be doing very, very poorly down the road. But corporations that are satisfied with, let's say, 70% and that other people can actually come in and also be able to benefit, they tend to be seen as justable, uh, sorry, as fair, as credible. And that is what I'm looking at is getting to yes. Yeah, and that's interesting that you chose that book. Yeah, I, I realized that looking in your background from Ottawa University, you've got a conflict resolution certificate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and here you're reading a book on negotiation yes. just to make sure you keep the skills sharp, right? Yes, yes sir. So, Karen, I turn my attention to you now. Which book has most informed your leadership? Um, I read a lot, but I, I have to say um, that the book that has had the most influence on me and, and continues to have influence in my life as a leader is the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, uh, I don't mean this to be a religious conversation, but wh whatever your um, uh, faith is or whatever your higher power is, I think it's very important to be in touch with um, uh, that which is the foundation for your values. Um, because your values should drive um, your leadership behavior, your leadership decisions. And I have found um, that uh, books in the Bible, like Ecclesiastes and mm -hmm. Proverbs, um, uh, continue just to have these wonderful nuggets of wisdom about every area under the sun, um, business, finance, leadership, relationships, health and wellness, marriage, family. If you're looking for an answer about how to um, really have success in all of those areas, I have personally found the Bible to be um, kind of that, that book that just never gets old. And impressive. So the Bible and um, and getting to yes. <laughs> so thanks again for uh, this edition of Global Leaders Radio, where we're discussing ideas that matter with people who care. Thanks to Derek and thanks to Karen. Thank you. Thank we, you. We've got to have you back on the show again. Absolutely. All right. So thanks. And we'll uh, invite you to join us back again this time next week. Global Leader Radio is brought to you by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University. Take charge of your personal development and professional career today by learning more at ksuemba.com. And join us next week as we discuss ideas that matter with people who care.